All right, friends, the church is a starfish. When the Great Barrier Reef was in kind of significant trouble, and still is, by the way, in Australia, um, a group of volunteer divers came in, and they're like, we know what's going on here. It's the starfish, because the starfish had multiplied like crazy. So the volunteer divers, over several months, came down and dove down and cut the starfish right in the middle. A few months later, they go back, and there are twice as many starfish. The issue with the barrier reef wasn't, I mean, somewhat tied to the starfish because they, like, glom on and suck things out and all that stuff. But, but the real issue is the, 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 the environment of the reef. It's actually heating. It's mostly warming oceans. But the problem is, is so long as there is one cell from the starfish's central body segment, it will regrow into another starfish. The church is a starfish. Over the next few weeks in Acts, what we're going to see from chapters 11 through 15, and I would just say, hey, y'all, give yourselves to those few chapters over the next few weeks. Just read them. Um, we're going to deal with this issue. And then I'm going to go away for a couple weeks. I'm actually going um, to be with our cross-cultural families through the Surge Conference. And I can't wait because if anyone understands that the church is a starfish, it's those laboring in places that face either persecution or deep misunderstanding. And so I can't wait to get some starfish training myself just being with them. So the point of these next few weeks, and I may open with this illustration every time, so you can come late if you want, no, I'm just kidding, um, is that the church is a starfish. You can't attack it. You can't cut it up. You have to change its environment. You either got to take it out of the water, and this is reality, add heat, vinegar, or bile. Those are your only options. Only a toxic environment or an, an injection of vinegar or bile will kill the work of God in a community. But no amount of amputation, knifing, pressure, oppression, or attempted demolition of the church will ever work. Because the church is a starfish. So here are my three takeaways over chapters 11 and 12. Because it's three, because it's a Presbyterian starfish. And so I'm going to read the parts of the scripture to you as we go. The, 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 the starfish church, or the starfish, the church that is a starfish, generates multiplication from division. Let me read, starting in 11:19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution of Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking to the Jews. Some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and spoke to the Hellenist Jews, preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number turned to the Lord. So this little mission group went out, was dispersed because of persecution. It gets back to Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas, who was in Jerusalem, to Antioch. We're going to learn a lot about Antioch in the next couple weeks. Antioch is awesome. If I was going to plant another church, it would be Antioch Prez, just to confuse everyone. 
when he, Barnabas, saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas is in a, a little bit of a conundrum. All these people are coming to the Lord. Paul's been out for a bit. So Barnabas went to, went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul, Paul. We picked up on him a couple of chapters back. And he found him, and he brought him to Antioch. They met for a year and taught a great many people. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Only a fool thinks that all division is good. But only a Christian can believe that division, even systematic dispersion by an evil regime, can generate multiplication. That's what's happened. So the Jewish Christians, who are Jews, went to go preach the gospel to the Jewish Jews. The Greekish Greeky Christians, who were Jews, preached the gospel to the Greeky Jews. And the number of those who believed in Jesus was trending on Twitter. The imperial forces scattered the Christians, and the Spirit used that to create an expansive witness to the known world. Jesus loves using evil against itself for the sake of love. It's kind of his MO. The cross being the perfect example, Satan's rage used against him to redeem a sinful people. When I was in high school, I worked out with the all-army judo team for wrestling. If you know anything about judo, it's all about using other person's attack against them. Jesus loves judo. I want to say something about the last couple of years that we've experienced. And if I start tearing up, it's um, not because Sunday school was amazing. It's not because the music was amazing. It's just the pollen. <clears throat> if you haven't noticed, we've lived in tumultuous times. You may have heard of this thing called COVID. Many overreacted. Many underreacted. You may have seen there's this like civic, political, and cultural upheaval. Not that you noticed that. And it has affected the capital C church and our little C church. Redeemer has endured what most churches have endured. The division within the church. The rabbit trails of statistical realities in this, including Barna, by the way, which is, uh, we're still working through uh, responding to, you, uh, or, or gathering all the data that you brought to us through the Barna survey. But you go rabbit trail on that, and there's, am there's amazing data about that. So we have endured departures that have hurt deeply, and we've experienced um, addition of folks that have heartened greatly. Our beloved friends, and I mean that, our beloved friends who have left, added to the numbers of another community which they now belong. 
And for a pastor and for a member of this church and denomination, for me this is a combination of all that's beautiful and all that's painful. It's troubling because I believe that embracing our differences is actually a holy ground where we get to, um, to cultivate a new awareness of one another into a new kind of people. And I do wish more have endured that kind of pain. But I don't, I'm, not, there's no, I'm not judging them. But it's beautiful because God knows that the cultural pressures that divide us into certain affinity groups in certain ways He will use that kind of thing to expand his kingdom in really amazing ways for his purposes. In spite of all our pain, of all our sin in it, all of our goodness in it, um, all of our hubris about it, God will bring growth because he uses division to create multiplication. Because the church is a starfish. So now, both Jewishy and Greeky Jews were being reached. But what about the Gentiles? And that's where the radicals come in and the radical work of the Spirit. Barnabas and Peter um, had seen God move in a way that was super interesting. So they go, better call Saul. Because Saul has been commissioned for such a work. Called to the Gentiles. Now, we don't, remember when I told you about the 10 to 14 years about Saul that nobody knows anything about? This is where that begins to end. And so he comes in, they go, they find Tarsus, they find Barnabas and Tarsus. By the way, the fact that Barnabas can find Saul and Tarsus, and later on Herod can't find Peter, let's just say the work of the Spirit is going on. The Spirit had done something in the dispersion. It created multiplication out of their division. And now the few of the disciples are like, wait a second. We don't want any cultural entrapments to be in the way of coming to a living reality with the risen Lord Jesus. And so they're like, oh, okay. They knew Paul had started off his ministry in this way. You remember after God had told Peter to eat pork and reptiles and other things that he would find completely disgusting? We all find reptiles pretty disgusting. Though I hear alligators pretty good, tastes like chicken. So Peter wanted to bring all the non-Jews, the Gentiles. And Barnabas had witnessed that something similar was happening to that, so that's when they go get Saul. And these three become the global engaged team. They become the people in the early church that say, we can bring the kingdom of God, we can be part of the kingdom of God's expansion into the, we know they're weird, uncircumcised pagans of the world. But we think that's what God is doing. And the rest of the book of Acts actually pivots here into the Gentile world. Y'all, praise be to the power of the Spirit of the living God that this is happening. The Roman Empire and its Jewish underlings, they were were trying to disperse this world. They just didn't realize that, that it's starfish and it very much undercuts their very purposes. You can't kill a starfish directly. The only thing that kills a starfish is a toxic culture. And Jesus has a plan for when we're toxic. And that is the forgiveness of sin. Somehow the pain, the knifing of the church, only multiplies the church. 
And so for us, we don't need to worry about um, our differences except for when it contributes to toxicity. And we certainly don't need to worry about our division, attacks, or adversity because that's how the Spirit multiplies us in many ways. So that brings me to the second reality of the church being a starfish. The, the church, or the starfish, actually generates activity from its adversity. You know, I, I hate to say the obvious, it's the book of activity. The activity or the acts of the apostles and the acts of the Spirit to empower the apostles. We have two major adversities that occur in the Scripture. We have the famine and we have Peter's imprisonment. Let's start with the first. In these days, this is verse 27, in these days prophets came through Jerusalem to Antioch. Agabus stood up and foretold that there would be a great famine. So the disciples determined that everyone would send relief to Judea as they were able. They did, later sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. That's just like data, except for the fact, if you remember, this is a complete flip of the script from Acts 6, where the Jewish Christians were withholding from the widows uh, of the, the Greekish Christians. And now the, the Hebraic Jews, the Jewish Jews, the Jerusalem Jews were in need, and the response was not to withhold, but to give generously. Come on, y'all. They flipped the script on it. And usually what happens in the starfish of the church is that it generates generosity. The brothers and sisters are afflicted by a drought. When, a, when, when, when the starfish church is enveloped by a healthy environment, it generates generosity to the other. Please understand that we're not talking about a massive capital campaign by significantly wealthy donors. The early church is an ostracized community, marginalized community, within a marginalized community, Judaism. It's an amazing thing that when they are facing economic collapse, remember it's an agrarian society, a drought doesn't just mean the possibility of not eating, the entire economic system is based on this. And the response is generosity. And the biblical definition of generosity is giving as you are able. That's what the scripture says. Could you imagine if Western Christians opted for generosity instead of like philosophy and partisan posturing regarding people, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ? What if the responses to gas prices and raging inflation, by the way, gas prices are pretty rough right now, and it is raging inflation, but wasn't complaining about all of its multiple causes, and there are multiple causes. I'm not smart enough, and frankly, you're not smart enough either to figure all that out. But what if the response wasn't complaint, but generosity? Y'all, keep loading up the deacon's fund. You have been so incredibly generous. This year, we've given away $20,000 for refugee relief, $12,000 for housing, both within and outside of our church. We have paid for $9,000 in counseling in our church, which I believe mental health is the, the following pandemic. 
about $7,000 for medical issues, $2,000 in utilities, 700 bucks in food, but that's because the majority of what we've done in providing for food is well outside of kind of the coffers of Redeemer, if you will. You've provided over 300 meals from April to April. And four of those meals were to 20 people, 20 students of Winston-Salem State. That's 380 meals. You did a meal a day. Awesome. The church responds with the activity of generosity. Now, for those of you who are not, like, kind of deep in in Redeemer, you can just, we're about to have a little family talk. And so don't feel like you're just watching a family talk. Redeemer, family. There are other adversities that we're dealing with that call us to give as we are able to be generous. Our deacons, y'all, have done, like, miraculous magic work on the budget, on, on finances, on, on um, what's that thing called? Where the money, the, like, that, mm, stuff with money. Um, cash flow, that's what I was looking for. Cash flow over the last two-something years. We still have a mini drought. I want you to feel this right now. You feel that? These two air conditioners need to be replaced. My thought was that we'd kind of go old school and, and be in kind of like um, in, 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 in kind of like connection with, with uh, solidarity with non-AC churches that have existed throughout the world and we just buy these little fans and you would do this. I got, I got overruled on that. Now, we plan for, they plan for that. But that's going to put our building fund pretty much on E. So in the general fund, we have to add more to it, Right? which then takes away from other things. Got it. Give as you're able towards the building fund. Just call a deacon. I go with Roger. If this kind of thing activates your generosity, go for it. Another Redeemer family thing that we have is the incredible amount of loss in our staff. We have a future staffing committee that has been working on how are we going to work this thing out over time with kind of the budget constraints that we have. The two things, we already have um, a a resume out for a youth ministry leader, and we want to bring in an executive director, uh, one who works on implementation and communication. We did not hear anything about that we are not that great at communicating at all. We're just just like that. Um, So we want to do, we want to help someone with that, uh, get, get someone to help us with that. And then shuffle around our other staffing positions to cover the other needs. We have a a current, uh, very responsible plan. But it is kind of an adversity. And we probably need 50 to 80 extra that won't be used again in order to do this transition well over the next 18 months. So, if you feel generous, if you feel like God's calling you to this, give as you're able. Last one, Global Engage. Excited because even in the middle of our adversity, we want to see the gospel move forward. You know what? Global Engage team says, we need another 18K for our missions budget. We want to give this away because little beautiful things are happening in the world. It can't come from our general fund. I see air conditioning. Fans would be less than $18,000, by the way. <laughs> but please give as you are able. Now, again, back into kind of everybody. The, the, the Deeks are doing amazing work, but there's amazing need. And we've planned amazingly well. 
So we're just looking for amazing response. That's all it is. And I'm not worried. We're going to be fine. We'll figure it out. Church has worked on empty a lot. So just stay generous, y'all, to each other, to the mission of God, to our neighbors, to our family, and to the church. It doesn't have to come through us. Just stay generous. Keep doing what you're doing. Give as you're able. But adversity and the activity in adversity isn't always communal. Sometimes it's like deeply personal. And, and by the way, Christianity is never only communal or only personal. It's both always. It's always the transcendence of God over all things and the kingdom of God working in the world and is always deeply to the heart. So this is where Peter's imprisonment comes in. Big bummer. Just got recommissioned recently after going back to his old job as a fisherman. Goes back out there and gets himself into some good trouble. Right? Peter went back. And he goes and gets himself in some adversity. Peter's gotten himself in hot water. And the hot water and adversity we're in are not always tied to our folly and sin, though big percentage of the time it is. It's not always tied to the fall of the world or society as a whole or droughts, though a good part of it is. Sometimes, though we probably claim it too much, it's because we're being faithful to the Lord. And that's what's happening. And frankly, they feel pretty similar in a lot of ways. So here's the story of Peter. And by the way, this is, this is what is called biblical comedy relief. <clears throat> not this first part. In that time, Herod laid violent hands on the church. He killed James with the sword. And when he saw it, it pleased the Jews, political move, partisan move, he arrested Peter. When he seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivered over to squads of soldiers, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So public shame, uh, an event that would bring loyalty to him instead of Peter. When Herod was to bring him out, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains and sentries guarding the prison. An angel of the Lord next to him stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell by his iPhone flashlight. He struck Peter on the side and said, Get up quickly. The chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he went out and followed him. Peter thought he was in a vision. Y'all, this is funny. The angel of the Lord, Will Smith's Peter. Will Smith? Peter? Come on, y'all. He backhands him or nudges him on the side. Come on, y'all got to watch. Come on. And then he passes through the first and the second guard. They come to the iron gate, which opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along, and immediately the angel leaves. Could have used him for a little longer, I would think. Peter came to himself, like literally just awakened from whatever he thought was a vision. You know, when you, you know, you're about to sleep and you think you're falling and you wake up? This is, what I, this is my imagination. Um, now, I, now, I am, now he wakes up and he goes, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. Sometimes, y'all, we just need some real clarity from the Lord. When he realized this, he went to Mary's home where they were gathered to pray. There was a preserved part of the starfish that he could re-enter into. He knocked at the door of the gateway, and a girl named Rhoda came to answer. 
Then, motioning to them all with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. I love this story, this part of the story. First and second guard, iron gate opening on its own, the angel backhands Peter. This is comic relief of holy writ. And yet he's still scared to go back to the jailhouse, right? Obviously. So he takes this clandestine trip to Mary's house. And then he uses some form of sign language to Rhoda to get inside so that he can actually tell the testimony of what God's done. To witness to God's activity. The the Starfish Church is never just communal. It's never just personal. But it's also not based on our power. Because the activity here in the Starfish Church is the activity, the direct activity of the Spirit moving and transforming and doing things. So the Roman and Jewish authorities have acted systematically to bring adversity to the first Starfish Church. And then Herod goes after him personally. Herod picks up on this thing and is like, oh, well, if I take out this guy, who seems to be one of the main leaders of the church, then it will die. The difference between a starfish and a spider is that if you take out the head of the spider, it's dead. You take out the head of a starfish, it doesn't have a head, it multiplies. You can only kill a starfish by poisonous bile or vinegar or taking out of its proper environment. Herod doesn't know this. Peter's just starting to understand it. But he starts to realize that multiplication The division creates multiplication, and activity is generated from adversity. But it doesn't come from his power or the kind of smartness of the church or himself. But the activity is God's activity. God, the promise-keeping Father. God, the resurrected Son. And God, the empowering Holy Spirit. That's what activates the movement in the Starfish Church. Go back and read 11 through 12 and just concentrate on God's activity in this, it is, it is it's laughable, and it's laudable, and it's inexplicable. Here's the deal. If your pri- imprisonment is personal, and you're experiencing adversity kind of on a lower, intimate level, as I am, and as many of you are, what you're waiting for is God's laughable, laudable, and inexplicable activity to follow. We're not smart enough to figure it out. Ask anyone who's been through that goop, and they will tell you the same testimony. What we're doing is waiting for God to be active in explicable ways, in inexplicable ways. So we wait for the laughable, laudable, and inexplicable things that he will do. Peter did, and God generated a tempest of activity. God woke Peter up and put the guards to sleep or put him in disarray so that he could get out. God sent an angel to do God's bidding. God broke trains bound to two centuries. God slapped Peter to wake him up. God said, get dressed and get ready. God Got him past two guards. God made an iron gate open on its own accord. God gave him a place to go to trusted people. 
to re-enter into the life of the starfish. God allowed Rhoda not to freak out. God unloosed Peter's tongue to give testimony about what God had done. We're not smart enough to understand all the trouble we're in or how to get out. Even when it's our own fault. But the testimony of Scripture is that God responds to our folly, the fallenness of this world, and our own finiteness with his power and grace. He is active amid our adversity. The glory of the gospel is not that we somehow um, respond with generosity, but it's that God has previously responded to our adversity with a, with a kindness and an abundance of his mercy and grace and power. And that generates our generosity that makes welcome for all to come to him. Which brings me to the last story, and it's kind of short, but it's no less powerful. The last thing I see here is this, this kind of weird story. The starfish church lives because Jesus lives. Now, if you're reading along in Acts, you kind of get interrupted in this. So Herod's done his little thing, and then Herod gets killed in the middle of it. Let me read it. Now, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had happened, what had become of Peter. Herod searched for him and did not find him. So he examined the sentries and ordered them to death. Herod then puts on his royal robes, took his seat on his throne, and delivered an oration to Tyre and Sidon. So think, it had to be moved to Tyre and Sidon, the throne. And he got all pomped and circumstanced up and shows up there. In responses, the people say, it's the voice of God and not of man speaking of his oration. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory, God the glory, and he was eaten by worms after he breathed his last breath. Peter escapes prison by the power of the risen Christ. If you're a Roman soldier and that happens on your watch, it ain't good. Herod the king, not the one of Jesus' birth, a couple descendants later. They, all, they like to kill each other and take over. So. Um, stands irate and kills the sentries. And he puts a search party out for Peter. It's unsuccessful. Truly one of the most powerful rulers, kings in the region can't find an historic former prisoner. And then in some desperate show of royally robed pomp and circumstance, he goes to a region where he thinks Peter might be and calls the people together. It's a kind of perverse partisan rally to declare his sovereignty and his goodness and require their loyalty and to meet out where Peter is so he can destroy them. But it's a fool's errand because he's dealing with the starfish. And the angel of God takes him out. And that's when Luke, the doctor, gives us an autopsy report on Herod, who is struck down. <clears throat> Dead on arrival by asphyxiation of self-glory. 
predict that worms will glory over him. What's that all about? Why would Luke say an angel of the Lord did all this and all this happened? Y'all, this is actually, and you need to hear me here, a political statement. Not a partisan American or partisan um, progressive or partisan conservative statement. The modern world does partisanship, not deep political work. But Luke is saying that the most powerful man in the region, full of his own pomp and power, will end in destruction and ends in destruction. But this working class fisherman that he's afterward, who's experienced the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the reason Christ, the kingdom of King Jesus, that harm will not happen to him. Because he, Jesus, is a different kind of ruler. Because King Jesus rules over Herod and Caesar above Herod, Rome and Judea, Tyre and Sidon, Ukraine and Russia, and the United States of America. All of it. You can kill all those by force, but you cannot kill this king in the kingdom of God he brings forth. Jesus, the king of this kingdom, rose from the dead. No worms for him. And all the little starfish he creates will rise from the dead in his name. You cannot beat this church to death. You can't jail it into hiding. You can't take him out, even if you crucify him or any of his followers, which in church tradition happens to Peter. Because King Jesus has created all these zillion little starfish. And the centrocellular structural structure is actually that of the DNA of Jesus who rose from the dead. That's the reality. And that's why this passage ends, and the next few weeks will bring to us what verse 24 says. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, will you give us great confidence in your communal work, our community work, the work of your church. And when we who experience something like being in prison between two guards locked up, would you remind us that you're active? May we wait upon you. We pray in your name. Amen.